We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Podcast. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. Yusei, we are recording this episode on July 1st. This summer is going by pretty fast, um, but we still have about a month away from training camp. How are you doing today, man? Uh, I'm doing well, man. How are you? Obviously, it's weird because you, you're right. The summer is going fast. I think we're about like what, three weeks away from the Bears officially reporting to camp so that's always going to be something interesting to monitor um really looking forward to the pace and naggy presser that's going to take place because that's going to be like the first and last time that we hear from both of them at the same time in this calendar year until of course the end of the season next year yeah especially ryan pace because he typically doesn't do uh, in-season press conferences usually leaves it all up to the coaching staff so we're gonna be getting a lot of naggy of course over over the next coming months or so with football season kicking in gear. Uh, but we're not going to hear much from Ryan Pace soon. So it'll be interesting to see his overall thoughts on how the offseason really turned out for this team as a whole. I know they're probably going to be uh, a lot of GM and head coach speak as to what to expect from training camp. But um, I'm sure the entire organization excited uh, as a fan base is right now, because obviously they got their quarterback and it's just, there's just a lot of anticipation as we, Wait for training camp in the next coming weeks, and uh, we'll see if we have any news to report in that in that uh, ongoing time here as uh, that per- it pertains to that. But in terms of some other news that doesn't relate to the Bears, there, there was some big news that dropped over this past week um, as it relates to college football. And, you know, this is interesting. This is something that was uh, came at the Supreme Court level uh, here in the United States, and that's the fact that, you know, college athletes now – have full reign to earn money for their name and lice and likeness, basically um, their image and likeness, basically. Um, and that's something that came from the Supreme court. 
Um, and it's been, a, it's been this way in the NCAA for a long time where athletes weren't able to get compensation for um, their image um, as athletes and whether that be and really the, the rules for this thing have been ridiculous for a long time. And, it, and it's finally, I'd say a good thing that we're finally getting to this point where, yes, I don't think most schools aren't going to be doing this where these players are seen as true professionals where they're getting like a salary or anything like that. I think the system will be pretty similar in terms of maybe you know, you'll be getting a full-time scholarship, but there's more opportunities for these players to, you know, use their brand really to get money for themselves. Like they can get money out, I would assume for signing jerseys for, you know, whatever they do on social media, stuff like that. So uh, really exciting news right there. And definitely something that's been a long time coming, I think. Yeah, it's been a really hot debate over the last couple of years. And I think when you look at it, one of the big things I'm interested to see when it comes to this is that because we've all heard the argument, oh, well, you go to college to get an education, not necessarily to play sports. Now, I mean, I was one that when this debate, I felt like really kicked off five or six years ago. And I was always one of those people that was willing to look at both sides of the argument. But then you do hear a lot of these former players, like I believe it was offensive tackle Russell Okung, who wrote a story about how, or essentially in a story to the Players' Tribune, talked about how, hey, listen, we had to, we didn't have like enough money to eat and stuff. So we had to like skip meals or something, you know, whereas we were only put on a very strict meal plan. So I totally see why they went ahead and passed this bill. And I think it is a good initiative because what you're doing at that point is basically giving the student athlete a voice and you're saying hey instead of having to work multiple jobs in addition to playing football or other schools i don't even think some schools allow players to have jobs outside of football not at all right right what's happening is this is you're basically telling the players hey go get a little bit extra money you now have that opportunity so it's going to be very interesting to see what these players do and how they do i know wisconsin quarterback graham mertz actually dropped a logo on social media of his own personal brand. And I know that a lot of players like the Bears, very own running back, Khalil Herbert, he's a player that's got his own website and he's got merchandise and stuff. Same thing with undrafted free agent CJ Marble. Now the key thing to keep in mind is these guys launched this stuff after they got drafted and after they left college. They didn't just do it throughout college, but still in 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 a time where you can make money in so many different manners, especially through social media, it's really good to see these players finally fully taking advantage of it and essentially getting a little bit something back because they do put a lot of time as well as effort into the school not just playing sports but also with like actual school stuff as well well especially for sports like football and basketball the two main ones especially when you get to some of the bigger conferences uh these athletes are generating a ton of revenue for not only the schools but the ncaa and all of the surrounding economics that surround these type of th big things. You can talk about uh, the national championship series in football or the Mar March Madness in uh, college basketball. Like all that stuff is a money-making hub um, for a lot of these big brands out there. And the players, I mean, yeah, the scholarship is definitely nice uh, and definitely something that is much needed because a lot, a lot of these athletes are getting to access to uh, – academic opportunities that a lot of them might not be able to due to uh, money reasons or, or other aspects um, right there. So that stuff is nice, but when you're generating so much revenue on that much of scale, it, it only makes sense to, you know, get some back in return. And this gives them an opportunity to do so 
um, while I wouldn't, th I wouldn't think it would absolutely break the current structure of what college athletics is. So um, I think it's a good thing overall. Um, and we'll see what happens of it because there are a lot of, like you said, there are a lot of opportunities for uh, these athletes to really make money branding themselves. And that's something that's been launched by a lot of these bigger programs, uh, especially when you look at, you know, I think Alabama's program, Wisconsin has program for this, but a lot of them are, are starting these programs where they're basically helping their student athletes learn how to brand themselves. And you talk about Khalil Herbert having that website for himself. You know, that's going to be something that is going to be huge or in Graham Mertz case, you know, getting his own brand, basically making his own, like making his own brand, literally. So uh, that's going to be something that's going to be really interesting to see. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how they do this. I'm also intrigued to see whether that uh, means we're going to be getting an NCAA football game back, which we haven't had one since uh, I think NCAA 14 uh, launched by EA, which is kind of considered one of the greatest football games ever made. So I'm kind of excited to see whether we're going to be getting um, a game in the future, potentially, because uh, Madden's become so, I don't, I don't know if you're a video game person or not, you say when it comes to sports games, but, you know, I've kind of had a love-hate relationship with some of these EA uh, football games. Like Madden's just been so stale for a long time, but I'm excited to see what opportunities come of that going forward. Yeah. I was watching my brothers play Madden last night on the PS5. And listen, it's, I like Madden. I used to play it as a lot as a kid, but the reality of the situation is that the older I've gotten, the game's just really lost its lasting appeal because I feel like they put so much time, effort, energy, and even money into the graphics that it almost just takes the fun out of what the game really used to be. And then just talking about the NCAA 14, I mean, I believe that, or the video game, I believe there was a statement that, or something came out. I think it was actually our very own writer Montel who dropped this on Twitter. He's just like, Oh yeah, the names or the games officially coming back. And then the news broke and EA was just like, yes, it is coming back, but they're just still working through a lot. So very good to see the game come back. I know in the old versions of the NCAA games, they have used to have to use fake names and stuff because they couldn't use the actual names because then you would have to pay the players. But all in all, man, just this name image likeness thing. It's been something that's been a long time coming. There's been a lot to work out. Now there's still obviously going to be debates because again, whenever there's an interest group that is vying for something you have to, and then there's a group that's saying, no, you shouldn't do this. There's a conflict of interest. Essentially. We have to keep in mind that the biggest thing is that nothing's going to be perfect. Right? So and I know me saying nothing's going to be perfect sounds like a generic statement, but we have to understand is that there's certain schools like the Alabamas or the Clemsons or the LSUs where those athletes are going to be raking in a significantly more significantly more share of revenue, even though there's no set number, according to what I've seen, compared to a smaller school, for example. So like an NIU or an IU or even a Northwestern, let's say. So what how much these guys earn is going to be really interesting to see because i do feel like it is going to impact the college in such a way where certain players are going to say okay you know what i don't i'm going into my last year i don't have anything to prove i'm just going to opt out and focus on essentially my personal brand which is my own business is what they just might decide to do yeah and that, and that could be something that where we see that happen much more down the line it could also lead to cases where maybe players stay in school like a year longer instead of going to the nfl because uh they do have access to getting paid earlier that could be a very this is something that montel brought up as well because he kind of mentioned that on twitter that um you know a lot of players that maybe opted to enter the nfl draft this year who had the opportunity to stay 
uh, for another year in college might be regretting it if they're not like they're kind of on the roster roster bubble like right now because once you enter the NFL, it's not like you can just go back to NCAA and, and have that um, eligibility still. Like once you declare yourself a pro, you are no longer able to play in the NCAA. So um, that's something that's going to be intriguing to see whether guys end up staying longer in college because they have the opportunity to build their brand, like you said. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens with that. I am excited for all the opportunities that I think are going to come from it. Obviously, I think it does favor some of the bigger schools more, but I mean, the NCAA is already so skewed into favoring bigger school, bigger programs anyway, that I don't think it really tips the balance of uh, the, the scales of, you know, how good teams are going to be anyway, in terms of the competitive balance or whatnot. So a lot of interesting stuff there. I think we can talk about that all day, you say, but we have another uh, thing to discuss on this podcast today. And that's kind of, I wouldn't say wrapping up our series of draft reviews for the bears over the past few years, but uh, kind of, Looking at Ryan Pace and his tenure as a GM as a whole and kind of stamping in exactly how he's done as a drafter uh, during his tenure here as the Bears general manager. Now, uh, he's been here, what, seven years now? So I think he's had seven drafts as a GM so far. So um, there's definitely a big sample size where we get to see, you know, how good he's done in relation to other GMs, what his process is like, some of his tendencies that he, he has as a draft and really as a football executive as a whole. So kind of get all that here for this episode. And what what we'll be doing for this is kind of breaking this down into three sections for you and how we're going to be evaluating Ryan Pace. So this is what this podcast today is all about, evaluating Pace and how he's done as a drafter. Uh, The first thing we have to look at is his trading process. You know, you know, what is this process trading down, trading up? You know, is he giving up too much value in this cases? Uh, some of the important stuff there. Secondly, you know, is he balancing the, the tendency to go for need positions or is he going after positions of value? Those are uh, some of the things to kind of balance there. You know, are you going too much for need where you're reaching too much or are you going too much where you're valuing positions of, of value over uh, positions of need? And then the overall evaluation, how has he done as a drafter as a whole in terms of finding talent, how does that compare to other GMs? And then combined with his process, how would we how would we grade Brian Pace as a drafter as a whole? So before we get into all of that, we're gonna be starting off with our his trading process. Before we get started, we're gonna take our first break of the show, get a word in from our sponsor real quick. And then when we get back, we're gonna be talking all about trade-ups and trade downs and Brian Pace and his aggressive style. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so kicking off this podcast here in terms of talking about Ryan Pace and evaluating him as a drafter, let's start off with his trading process. Now, Ryan Pace, I don't think it's a secret here. You say he has been uber aggressive in trading up during his tenure as the general manager, especially starting from 2018 and on. Um, and, you know, he's been accused of being panicky at times, especially when you look at some of the trades for Rich Trubisky was one that was definitely something where you could definitely see him being a little bit panicky to get his guy in that draft. And again, there's a lot of evidence to support this. It isn't just about one incidence with Ryan Pace. He's done this a ton as GM here. Um, fun fact, he's traded up at least once in every single draft since 2016. Remember in 2016, it was for Leonard Floyd and then Mr. Trubisky in 2017. In 2018, he traded a future pick for Anthony Miller. In 2019, obviously trading up for Darnell Mooney and Travis Gibson. 2020, I don't know, 2019, that was David Montgomery. And then 2020, it was Darnell Mooney and Travis Gibson. Uh, excuse me. And then 2021, this past year, trading up twice uh, for Justin Fields and Tevin Jenkins. So uh, he has been trading up a ton. And unfortunately, when you're trading up a ton, you're giving up a lot of assets. And he isn't trading down a lot to supplant that or to make up for that. So his day three uh, trade this year where he traded back to get an additional seventh round pick this year, that was actually the first time he's traded down since 2017. So you can clearly see it here. You say lots of trades up, lots of trades down. And, you know, there are some rewards potentially to be had when you're that aggressive, but there are definitely a lot of consequences and risks to be had when you're being uh, that aggressive to pursue talents um, higher in the drafts. Yeah, I think, and you summed it up perfectly, where Pace's aggressive nature either really helps the Bears because it helps them land players like long-term building blocks like Tevin Jenkins and Justin Fields, or what it does is it really bites Pace. And then as a result, you end up with players like Mitch Trubisky and Adam Shaheen. But I have to say this, is we have to understand that windows in the NFL are really small. And when you're on a, when you look at the Bears, when Pace first got here, it was very clear that they needed a full-skill rebuild. And it was also very clear that Pace drafted the quarterback where he did back in 2017 because ultimately he knows that windows, like I said a moment ago, in the NFL are small and that really the modern NFL is all about maximizing a, you hope you hit on a quarterback, essentially, a rookie quarterback in what is considered to be a five-year window because that's the standard contract with a fifth-year option for any first-round pick. And so really what Pace is doing and Pace's aggressiveness, it's always been in a win-now, win-now mode approach. And I think if you look at another team, the New Orleans Saints, they're exactly a team that operates with this mantra as well. Whereas if you compare Pace to other GMs that have been signed over the last couple of years or just other GMs in general. I mean, you look at the Jets with Joe Douglas, that the Jets, you know, they didn't try to necessarily Joe Douglas. He's never really accelerated the rebuilding process. I mean, he's been patient. Another name that's been patient is Colts general manager, Chris Ballard. Another one that Chris is always willing to let guys kind of fall to him and is going to go more so with a, value-based approach than necessarily a needs-based approach. Another name you could look at, and I know the Patriots are terrible at drafting, but Bill Belichick, let's call it how it is. I mean, he's one of the most conservative drafters out there, and he's always going to wait for guys to fall necessarily than going up and trading up for them. And so when we talk about just Pace's aggressive nature, you do have to give credit in the sense 
said he's always looking to basically take a roster or take a positional group and then make it stronger and stronger and stronger than it already is. And I can tell you right now, Lions, new Lions general manager, Brad Holmes, he was on the athletic football show and he kind of alluded to this when he was in St. Louis. I mean, yeah, they had Aaron Donald there, but they also had Michael Brockers. They had Robert Quinn. So they were always looking to add to a positional group and just make it stronger and stronger. And I think that's the exact approach that we see with pace here is he's a GM that's never satisfied, but then also you have to pick and choose your battle. So you have to know when, to be aggressive and one not to be aggressive and i don't even think it's the thing is bears fans a lot of times they lose their minds over pace's aggressive nature i don't even think it's necessarily the aggressive approach i think more so fans have issues with the players that he picks than the necessarily aggressive approach because pace's aggressive approach is also about quality versus quantity well yeah like you said i mean if you're gonna be training up as much as ryan pace does like it, it reduces your margin of error certainly a little bit and the players that you do pick with those with those trade-ups you better get it right because if you don't it can have long lasting effects on your franchise beyond just oh we didn't get the, the pick right you know so be it we'll get get it right the next time like no because you're giving up other draft picks and other valuable um draft capital there to make that happen so you're losing out on players that potentially could have filled depth for you or been quality starters for you and that impacts the rest of your team as a whole when you go up and make those selections. So if you're going to trade up, you better get it right. Um, now, that can, there can be a little bit of an exception there for quarterback because quarterback is such an important position. Like, if you believe that that guy's going to be the dude for you, like, go up and get him because a franchise quarterback brings so much value to your team that um, pretty much any cost given up to get that guy – I'm usually fine with it as long as, again, as long as you get the guy right. And unfortunately, Ryan Pace ran into a situation where he did that and got the pick wrong. But um, we'll see what happens with Justin Fields here. But just to put this all into perspective, uh, you said, I, I went back and looked at all of the trades that Ryan Pace has made in his draft history here. So let's start with the trade ups because we've been talking about this um, over the first portion of this podcast here. Ryan Pace being aggressive, this is what he likes to do. In his seven years as a GM here with the Bears, he's had 10 total trade-ups uh, in the seven drafts that he's had here. 10 trade-ups. And you look at the net picks he's given up in these trade-ups, 13 picks giving up. And then according to the Rich Hill chart, which is what I use for pretty much all of my draft trades, uh, whenever I do mock drafts or anything related to that, uh, you look at the net value given up according to the current Rich Hill chart. 89 draft points, so to speak. I'm kind of using quotation marks there. Uh, for that. Um, so he's given up quite a bit here um, in terms of trading up for players. And you look at some of the players he's traded up for, some of the noble guys. Uh, you look at Leonard Floyd, you look at Nick Wachowski in 2016, Mitch Trubisky and Eddie Jackson in 2017. I already mentioned Anthony Miller in 2018, David Montgomery in 2019. And then these past two drafts, he's had four trade-ups. Uh, you look at Travis Gibson, Darnell Mooney, Justin Fields, and then of course, Tevin Jenkins. So he's, he's trading up a lot here, and it's only accelerated ever since that 2018 year, like I mentioned. Like, he traded away future draft capital uh, in terms of future second-round pick for Anthony Miller. He traded away future draft pick, I think a fourth-round pick for David Montgomery. He traded a future fourth-round pick for Travis Gibson. Uh, and then he gave up multiple picks for Don Mooney, and, of course, giving up a future first-round pick for Justin Fields. So one of the most notable things here for Ryan Pace is not only is he giving up a lot of picks and a lot of value here, a lot of it is future value because 
one of the things when you're giving up future value is, yeah, at the time, a lot of GMs devalue future picks in, in terms of the, the draft uh, charts uh, because, you know, they don't affect you in terms of impacting you right away. So smart GMs will try to trade for future picks if they're in a more of a patient value-based approach because while it can be seen, it can be seen as discount value at the time, that pick becomes value for you down the road because you're getting that surplus value of draft picks. So if you're trading for a future first round pick at the time, it may seem like you're getting like an extra second round pick in terms of value. But then again, I mean, again, you're getting a future first round pick for it. So if you're patient, it pays dividends in the future. So that's the problem with Brian Pace here. When you look at all these trades, you're giving up a lot of value because especially over the last couple of years, he's been dipping into the future quite a bit to give up future draft picks to get his guy. Now, it's certainly justifiable when you look at a guy like Justin Fields trading up to get your franchise quarterback, but you look at trading up future value for Anthony Miller, trading up future value for David Montgomery, trading up future value for Travis Gibson. After a while, that's going to create issues for you down the road, and we're starting to see it right now. I mean, you look at the picks that the Bears have next year. They have only a second or third round pick, but no picks in the first or fourth round, and then the rest is just day three picks, which whatever at that point. So you know, when you do that quite a bit, it does create scenarios where you kind of have less meat on the bone, so to speak, to really add value in the draft. Yeah, the see Pace's drafting philosophy is also weird because there's times where he seems to really hit on value, and then there's times where he necessarily also seems to miss. But just regarding the future, um, I want to add this on to what you said about future picks. What's kind of happened is this: if you go back and you look at the Bears drafts i mean one thing that's very clear is i don't think the bears so 2016 was the one year where the bears had i think eight or nine draft picks but then when you start looking at drafts in 2017 and then 29 so some of the drafts right so like every other year per se so if you look at 2017 if you look at 2019 one of the big things that you notice and those two drafts stick out the most specifically because the bears only had a combined like 10 or 11 draft picks between both. If you look at those drafts, you're going to notice immediately that those are also the two years where the bears gave up the most future picks, right? So if you look at 2017, I mean, what pace gave up, he gave up two thirds and a fourth to move up one spot to get Trubisky. And yeah, in the same draft, he recouped some of that draft capital that he would have been able, or at least some draft picks per se. But then if you look at 2019, for example, I mean, he gave up a 2024th and there's a big gap in terms of a lot of the drafting, because look at the 2020 draft. I mean, what happened in 2019 directly affected the Bears' plans for the 2020 draft, because at the same time, when you did go back into the fifth round in 2020 and trade for Travis Gibson, you didn't have a third or fourth round pick, but then you also have to acknowledge is that you gave up a 2021 fourth round pick, which then if you go back and you look at the 2021 draft, I mean, the Bears had a first and second round pick, but then they dipped into their 2022 draft capital for Justin Fields. And then they dipped into um, 2022 draft capital as well for, uh, I believe it was Tevin Jenkins. So ultimately, man, it's just like one domino effect after another. And then in terms of roster building, we see that there's only, I think, three or four players outside of the rookie class. I think only Cody Whitehair and Khalil Mack are the two guys that are under contract right now through 2024 for the Bears, which, again, I know it's four years away, but it's going to get here faster than you think. And then it's like you look at this year. Pace's aggressiveness really forced the Bears to slow down in terms of free agency this year and roster building. So I believe they only had like 36 players under contract. And more so what it was was that 
his aggressiveness essentially led to the Bears having to be super conservative this offseason. And instead of going ahead and re-upping a guy like Allen Robinson, what had happened? Well, you used the franchise tag, which was the last resort, but then you also made a smaller of number signings to just shore up depth on the roster because this aggressive philosophy also led to a major lack of depth on the roster throughout 2019 and 2020, and that was visible because there's certain positional groups. Take a look at, like, offensive line, for example. Um, Cornerback is another one. Certainly, you could even throw defensive line in there with – Brent Urban and Roy Robertson Harris now gone. Those were positions that, yeah, Pace drafted some of those guys over some players at that position over the last couple of years. But really what's happened is that those guys either haven't been developed or they just have not panned out or inking these guys to these cheap one-year deals is a short-term band-aid solution. It's going to do nothing for you in the long run. Yeah, and to kind of add to that, you look at some of the players that Ryan Pace has missed on in terms of, like, the players that he could have had with the picks that he did have, but decided to trade him for uh, getting his guy, so to speak. You look at where this has really started to hurt him in many ways. Uh, going back to 2017, I mean, you missed out on Alvin Kamara and Fred Warner as a result of the Mitch Trubisky trade. So they could have had a chance to get an elite running back, elite receiving running back, and an elite linebacker um, in the third round there. Uh, in that draft class and then go to 2019 they traded obviously that that second round pick for uh, Anthony Miller in 2018 that was a 2019 second round pick though that they used to trade into the second round to get Anthony Miller and which player was taken with that 2019 second round pick well that was Nicole Hardman uh, who was taken by the Chiefs in that draft so another wide receiver there and it can be debated whether Hardman or Anthony Miller has been the better player to this point in his career but point is you're giving up future draft capital to make that happen. Um, and then you look at other players selected with some of their picks. Josh Reynolds was a wide receiver picked, I think, in that same trade-up with Anthony for Anthony Miller, I believe. So that fourth-round pick they used to trade for Anthony Miller, two wide receivers were used with that pick. And um, it can be debated whether uh, Anthony Miller is better or significantly better, I should say, than both of those players um, at, at this point in their respective careers. Um, and then moving on here, uh, you look at the 2019 draft, trading up for David Montgomery. Uh, this is You talk about Bill Belichick being one of the most conservative drafters uh, in the NFL. This is a trade-up with the New England Patriots. So the New England Patriots moved down 14 spots here as the Bears went from 87 to 73 to get David Montgomery. Well, what did the Patriots do with that pick? You know, The Bears traded up for a running back. Well, the Patriots got a running back of their own in Damian Harris, who had a real breakout season this past year and is looking like the number one guy at running back for the Patriots for years to come here uh, going forward. They get another running back uh, in the third round. They're trading down, and they get additional draft picks as well to use for future drafts. So um, it's, it's that thing where, you know, again, Ryan Pace being aggressive, trying to get his guy. You know, David Montgomery's been a good player, but can we say with any certainty that he is a significantly better player than Damian Harris at this point in their careers? And for the running back position, doesn't really make that much of a difference anyway because running backs, you know, they're really – once you get past the top five guys, there really isn't much big of a difference when you look at six to 32 in terms of overall impact that your running back is making. So that is where it gets a little bit dicey here with Ryan Pace and his trade-ups. Now, with that said, he has traded on a few times here in his uh, tenure as GM. We talked about in this past 2021 draft, trading down to get Khalil Herbert and uh, Kyrus Tonga uh, late on day three in the sixth and seventh round there. Uh, but before that, only three uh, trade downs in total 
and all of those uh, were in 2016 and 2017. You look at the picks gained, they gained six picks from that and 49 draft points according to the Rich Hill chart, though. So when he does decide to trade down, Ryan Pace does get good value for his trade downs. Um, he does a nice job of replenishing his picks with especially these second-round trades, which is where all these came in in 2016-2017. They traded up both times in the first round and then got some of their draft capital back by trading down a couple times in the second round. And look at some of the players they've gotten here with these trade downs. Cody Whitehair, Adam Shaheen, which was not good, but uh, the point still stands they were able to get him trading down, which kind of diminishes the, you know, the, the fact that he was a bust in many ways. But, you know, look at some of the other players here, Tariq Cohen, Dion Bush, and then this past year, Khalil Herbert, Kyrus Tonga. So when Ryan Pace decides to trade down, he usually does a pretty nice job of not only gaining value, but getting quality players with those trade downs. And you just wish he, he would do this more because it's fine to have that aggressive approach. If there's a guy that you absolutely have to have on your roster um, in the drafts, but as long as you are able to replenish your draft picks a little bit by trading down a little bit and getting some draft capital back in return, you can make up for it in some ways. But if you're not doing that, it really creates a lot of issues um, for the rest of your roster here. Yeah. Trading down has been a strong suit of paces. I mean, you're right. Just, Again, the initial list includes guys like Cody Whitehair, um, Tariq Cohen as well. I know that – I think you could even add H. Jackson to that, but I'm, I think it was Cohen or Jackson, one of the two were Pace State. But, but then also when you do look at some of Pace's trade downs, you realize that they have – he's also missed out on a significant amount of players. And the biggest, I think, trade down miss to me that sticks out would in fact be Adam Shaheen because the Bears actually traded out of that spot Originally, I think they were scheduled to pick like 33 or 36 overall in the second round. And then you miss out there. And instead of taking a guy like Buda Baker, who the Arizona Cardinals took in that original slot, you ended up taking Adam Shaheen. So pace, when it comes to trading down, I always say that you can't really rely. You can't rely on pace heavily to trade up because, you know, he's going to give up probably more picks than he should. And I think that just looking at the way the NFL is trending in terms of trade ups, we realize that, look, the 49ers, they just gave up effectively. They swapped first round picks, but then gave up two future firsts as well to move up to third overall and take trade lines. And that was just a move that was nine spots up the draft board. But then also you look at pace when it, you look at just teams in general, when it comes to trading down and teams are always going to value high future picks when looking at trading down compared to those lower future picks. Now, when we look at pace overall, I mean, some of his trades on day three, right. They've just simply been for like the same day draft picks, you know? So like this 2019, I'm sorry, this 2021 draft was an example of that. So in a way you could actually say that pace is trading up. And I think pace is trading down. They kind of significantly just cancel each other out because again, he either hits on it or he misses. And honestly, when he does trade down, you do notice that he's taking more so of like a value-based approach than he is necessarily trying to figure out when it comes to trading up where he's taking like a major needs-based approach. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, and you talked about that value versus need approach. I think that's a good way to transition to the next aspect of evaluating Ryan Pace here, and that is balancing addressing positions of need with addressing positions of value. So one important aspect of drafting is drafting positions of value, which I kind of mentioned here, especially early in the draft. So what are we talking about here when we talk about positions of of value? So these are like the five main core positions in terms of uh, really impacting the outcome of games here in the modern NFL. You're talking about quarterback, off the tackle, pass rushers, cornerbacks, wide receivers. Those are the five most important positions in today's NFL. And there are some other positions that you can make an argument for, like a covered safety is definitely valuable, I think, in today's NFL, especially for certain schemes and certain defensive systems. Um, Certainly, you can never go wrong with offensive line depth, even in the interior, um, even though those guys are a little bit more replaceable. And then maybe tight ends there if it's if it's really a tight end of uh, really special significance, like a Kyle Pitts, for example, in this past year's draft. But it shouldn't be a coincidence that all of these positions that I just mentioned here impact the passing game. The passing game is king in the NFL right now. And if you're not finding ways to uh, really up and improve your passing game, you know, you're not really doing what's necessary, I, I think, in uh, today's NFL. Now, it's fine if said pick is a luxury pick because uh, if you're saying you're picking a player who, who may not be a position of need, but is, um, you know, at a position of value, that's a little bit more of a luxury pick, but it's fine because again, these are the most important areas to address on your roster. You have to be strong in these positions if you want to win uh, sustainably in the NFL for a long time. So you can never have too much talent here. You can never have too much depth here. You know, you talk about Brad Holmes with the Lions uh, with his time in Los Angeles, you said, talking about how they wanted to make their defensive line stronger because that was the strong point of their team. It's the same philosophy here. Those are the five most important aspects to address, the five most position groups to address on your team. You want to make sure that you're strong there year in and year out because that gives you the best chance of winning. You can have holes at other spots like running back or nose tackle or linebacker, for instance. But as long as you have those areas of your roster figured out, you can you know, deal with some weaknesses in other areas and still be okay. I mean, that's, that's been something that a lot of these teams, when you talk about the Baltimore Ravens, when you talk about the Chiefs, that's something that they figured out in their, in their team building strategy. Those are the cures we have to address. If we're strong in those areas, we can make up for elsewhere, even if we had talent deficiencies at other spots. So now with that said, you know, drafting for need isn't necessarily a bad thing either, but you have to understand, again, it's important to understand the value of every selection. So while addressing needs are important, you don't want to reach for players or take positions that have little impact too early on. So tight ends, they don't have a lot of impact early on in their rookie contracts. So it takes these guys two or three years to really get going on the NFL. And I'll use another example here, the Giants taking Saquon Barkley second overall in 2018. You know, Saquon Barkley is a fantastic player. He was a, you know, an amazing prospect coming out of Penn State. He was in need at the time for the Giants, but 
running back isn't going to create the type of return on investment needed to justify that pick, especially for a rebuilding team, which is what the Giants were at the time. Because running back, again, like I mentioned, unless you're finding that elite running back, um, isn't much of a difference between the top running backs in the NFL from an average starting running back in the NFL these days. It really just isn't at this point. Even if Saquon Barkley was that special type of player, he isn't going to be having the amount of impact on winning necessary of a guy like maybe like an edge rusher or a quarterback or even an offensive tackle even. So with that said, I mean, you can kind of look this at this from a Bears perspective too. Drafting Roquan Smith at eight might have been a need pick at the time, not a position of value necessarily, but I think that can be justifiable due to Smith's status as a prospect and his skill set matching the modern day game as a coverage slash speed linebacker. So this brings us to Ryan Pace, who has a tendency of attacking positions, like you kind of alluded to, you said, where he will sign a bunch of players in free agency, um, really add to a position group in volume, and then will draft that position highly to overcompensate that spot being a weakness the year prior. So that's something that um, Ryan Pace has done routinely here as GM for the Bears. He's done that a lot recently. Um, You know, it's really interesting when you talk about the – the outcomes between need versus value, where do you sit on that? You say it in terms of addressing needs versus addressing value, because I tend to lean toward more towards you wanting to address positions of value more so. And if that value, if that position of value fits a need, then that's all well and good. But I'm of the position that you want to make your roster, those five spots I mentioned as strong as possible. And we can figure out the rest later. Where do you stand on that um, kind of philosophy there? So my whole thing is this, and it's, pretty much saying the exact same thing that you said, but just in different terms. I believe that when you look at the NFL draft, there's two things you have to keep in mind is every single year, you're going to go into the draft with needs, but the depth of a draft class dictates the value of a position as well as um, how you address that need. And I believe that needs can be directly addressed. If you value the value of a position if you value value basically is what i'm saying here and when you alluded to saquon barkley for example so yes saquon barkley was considered to be like the next big thing at running back i mean he's openly said that he watched adrian peterson growing up but then also if you look at and again i'll just use the first round here what tends to happen is is oftentimes you know that quarterbacks in any draft are going to dictate the conversation I mean, this past this past NFL draft, the quarterbacks essentially dictated how the entire first round shook out. But if you go back and you look at like the 2018 draft, for example, yeah, you had five quarterbacks going round one that year. But what was also very interesting was that you did have a couple other blue chip prospects. You had Saquon Barkley, you had Quentin Nelson. Now in the Giants case, in every team, every situation, every scenario is different. Look, I have friends that cover the Giants, and one of the things that they tell me all the time is that, number one, Giants fans are still fighting over the Saquon Barkley selection because it legitimately divided the organization, which I just find to be absolutely hilarious, by the way. But then, number two, their whole thought process behind taking Saquon Barkley at two overall was the fact that we believe that if we build the roster up one more time and add Saquon Barkley, it's basically going to be giving Eli Manning one final chance. Now, obviously, Eli Manning's chance ended the – when they selected Daniel Jones the following season. But the thing is, is that value is obviously more important because every the draft classes are different year to year, right? So like this past year, I mean, we saw a couple linebackers go in round one. I believe Jameen Davis, um, Zayvon Collins as well, right? 
Whereas in years past, we would not have seen multiple linebackers go in year one. All right. Or we see like whatever, two or three go, and they're just not as talented as a player like Roquan Smith, for example. So teams are going to go with naturally just the value-based approach. And then just looking at the context of the bears here, when you talk about certain positions, right? Like offensive, if, you listed quarterback, OT, pass rushers, cornerback, and wide receiver. Those are five positions. If you look at pass rusher, cornerback, and wide receiver, Pace has done a good job of drafting those guys over the last couple of years. I mean, the Bears have taken the defensive back on day three. I think every year since 2019, right? So it'd be Duke, Shelley, Kendall, Wilder, and then this past year or this past draft in 2021, Thomas Graham Jr. Same thing with wide receiver. We've seen Anthony Miller, then the following year, Riley Ridley, Javon Wims as well. And then no wide receiver in 2019, but she took a wide receiver in 2020 in Darnell Mooney. Offensive tackle, the offensive line one with pace has just been neglected. But you look at the smart teams like the Chiefs, for example, when Andy Reid got there in 2013 up till 2020, they drafted, I think, a total of seven offensive linemen. And it wasn't just the fact that they drafted guys like Eric Fisher in round one with the first overall pick. No, they drafted guys all over the place to continue to add to the offensive line depth. Now quarterbacks, the one exception here, just because when a team drafts a quarterback, especially in round one, they are likely to not take another high quarterback unless you have a regime change. Like the Cardinals had with Steve Wilkes uh, going Steve Wilkes, passing the torch to um, Cliff Kingsbury the following year. But then again, those scenarios are just very rare. Oftentimes when a GM commits to a quarterback, even though the head coach may not necessarily have been there for the quarterback, then the team is always going to stick with um, that quarterback. Um, But it doesn't mean they can't add someone on day three even, or even as a practice squad guy. But Ultimately, man, it's just about value in the NFL draft. And like I said a moment ago, in the case of the Bears, Pace has been really good at finding pass rushers, cornerbacks, and wide receivers, but neglecting the offensive line. And again, like I mentioned earlier in the show, it's caught up to Pace. Yeah, we definitely saw that with the offensive line over the past couple of years, just a lack of depth. And when they had injuries come up and some of the veterans started to fall off, they didn't have young guys in the roster that could really take those places and really step up. And that forced Ryan Pace again to kind of overemphasize um, the position in this draft, trading up for Tevin Jenkins and then uh, getting Larry Borm in the fifth round. So that we saw again that Ryan Pace, because he neglected the position for so long, he had to overcompensate by being aggressive to address the position in this year's draft. So I, this is this is what, what happens when you you know have a faulty process. It forces you to have to be aggressive at certain times and um, really trade up and be aggressive and, and reach for needs sometimes to fill in the gaps, so to speak. So I, I look at this here for Ryan Pace. Like you said, he's done a nice job, I think, of addressing positions of need in some areas in terms of, you know, like you said, getting that wide receivers and defensive backs late in the drafts, like pretty much every single year, that's fine. You can never have, you can never take too many flyers on day three for those type of guys. But you look at what he's done in the first three rounds as a general manager here for the Bears. Uh, he's had 14 picks in the first three rounds of the drafts he's been a part of here in Chicago. And when you look at it in terms of picking premium valuable positions, uh, he has used those picks on a premium uh, valuable position seven times. Look at Kevin White in 2015, Laren Floyd, Mitch Trubisky, Anthony Miller, Jalen Johnson, Justin Fields, and Tevin Jenkins. So th- those are pretty much 50% of your picks um, in the first three rounds are going to what I would call premium positions. Now, 
He's also pumped a lot of resources into the trenches early as well. Look at Eddie Goldman, Hronis uh, Grassu, Cody Whitehair, Jonathan Buller, James Daniels. And again, like I mentioned, Jenkins as well. So adding a lot to the defensive line, offensive line, and to some of those other positions of, of need. But um, certainly there are plenty of times where Ryan Pace is clearly looked to address need without taking into account value. You know, I talk about Am Shaheen, again, trading down was a nice way of gaining value. But again, was Am Shaheen the type of player you'd go for in the second round there? I don't necessarily think so. Um, that was definitely more of a risky pick at the time. And it certainly proved to be that um, in hindsight. I go back to 2020, Cole Komet. I always felt like that was a reach for a need because Cole Komet, according to my evaluation, like I'm only one evaluator, but I don't think I'm unique in my take in that Cole Komet was probably a little bit overdrafted um, at that point. And when you look at, you know, tight ends, they typically take a couple of years to really break out. Um, unless Cole Komet becomes like a top 10 um, consistent tight end, consistent top 10 tight end in the NFL, you know, he's probably never going to return the type of investment um, on that pick there in the second round, even though he might be a solid player. But maybe the most egregious one is a player that I actually like quite a bit, and that's the David Montgomery trade, which we kind of talked about on 2019, trading up in the third round, giving up two fourth-round picks to do so. You know, again, one, you're trading up for a running back here, and which is just not a good idea, in my opinion, because running backs are so replaceable in today's NFL. And it's, it's debatable as, as to whether – David Montgomery, who, again, I like. I think he's going to be a really nice back here over the next couple of years or so, but he's probably not getting a second contract with the Bears. Um, and, you know, what does he bring to the table that's more than a guy like Damian Harris who had a really, really good year last year? So um, I, I think David Montgomery is probably a better player than Damian Harris, but I'm just saying like the difference isn't that much where I'm willing to give up two fourth-round picks to get a David Montgomery, even though I like him quite a bit. So – um, that's the thing here with, with Ryan Pace when you're trading up like that, an attacking position, so to speak. Um, you're not gaining a lot in terms of value because you're trying to overcompensate weaknesses on your roster by addressing needs instead of being patient, staying patient, and addressing value. And that's where kind of the problems come for Ryan Pace in terms of the need versus value aspect of things. Yeah, I think when – You get Pace's overall draft history. I will say this, that, okay, so first round has been so underwhelming. I mean, second round's been a bit better because if you do look at the Bears roster right now, there are some building blocks per se or just key parts of the roster that were drafted in the second round. Now you look at it, I mean, Cody White here is one, James Daniels is another. And then certainly Eddie Goldman, Eddie Goldman was also a second round pick. Then you have Jalen Johnson. Now Cole Komet as a second round pick is very interesting because it's very clear that if you, there's a stark divide between Cole Komet for the local people or just people that were, let let me just put it this way. There's two groups of people. There's the national media that some people like NFL network labeled Cole Komet as possibly being a first round pick. But then you had everyone else that was not national media. That was like the local guys that were like, okay, well, Cole Komet's not necessarily He's the best tight end, but he's not worthy of a first-round pick. Some people had him labeled as a third-round pick. I think, for me, my evaluations had him labeled as a late second, early third-round pick. But just going back here, and then you do look at the Bears. They didn't have a – or then fast forward to 2021, Tevin Jenkins was your only second-round pick. Now, it's too early to start talking about – 
could the how the 2021 draft class per se for me at least could possibly shape Pace's past history because it is very hard to ignore a lot of the mistakes that have been made and then you look at round three I mean if you look at the Bears in round three, Pace has sucked in the third round. His best pick has been David Montgomery. When we look at round three, I mean, Jonathan Bullard, Hironis Grasu, they're no longer on the roster. They didn't even finish out the duration of their rookie contracts on the Bears roster. David Montgomery is the only player that's going to go ahead and do that because he's heading into, I believe it's year, uh, yeah, year three now. So he's effectively next offseason, he'll be eligible for an extension. But then just overall, man, I mean, when we look at, at you know, the trade-ups as well as where Pace is kind of hit or miss, it's been very clear that where he's been most effective has been day three. And there's times that he's traded both up and down on day three, and he's still got a massive return on investment. Yeah, and that, and that kind of brings us then to, I guess, the final portion of evaluating Pace here, and that's, you know, how he's done actually in terms of who he's drafted here, because we can talk about process all day long, but pace, you know, at the end of the day, when you're looking at the draft here, you want to get good players here with the picks that you have. And Ryan pace, I think if there's one saving grace for Ryan pace is that for the most part, he does have his flaws. I think uh, certainly look at some of the first round misses he had, especially early on have been a detriment to him. You talk about his third round struggles, but for the most part, Ryan pace has been very good at finding talent. He clearly has an eye for talent. And I think that served him well in getting a lot of contributors for this team. You know, most analytical models, when you look at grading drafts as, as a whole, you know, they place Ryan Pace as an above average, even top 10 drafter in terms of finding talent in relation to trap draft capital utilized and where you're drafting set of players. So like you said, I think he's been at his best in round two. You know, you look at some of the notable players here, Eddie Goldman, Cody Whitehair, you know, James Downs and Anthony Miller um, still have they're going to their findings and their contracts. They could certainly uh, go either way at this point, but I think Daniels has been solid. I think Miller has been um, certainly it has been an issue with talent here. Like we talked about in our 2018 draft recap, you know, Jalen Johnson looks pretty good. I'm still, the jury's still out on Komet. Sounds like he's been doing well in camp so far, but um, we don't know how good he'll be, but I think Komet will certainly be solid. I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be a bad player or anything or a bust, but, um, but day three, you talk about that there. That's where Ryan Pace is really shine, I think. You look at some of the notable names here, Adrian Amos getting him in the fifth round. Uh, he traded up for Nick Wachowski in 2016, getting Jordan Howard in 2016 in the fifth round, trading up for Eddie Jackson, getting Tariq Cohen after that trade down in the Amsterdam trade down, Bilal Nichols in 2018, trading up for Darnell Mooney uh, in 2020. So a lot of good stuff on day three of the draft, finding some real gems in the process here. I kind of alluded to this, though, that Ryan Pace has, has struggled in first rounds, however, and um, that has also been something that has clearly something that has held him back a little bit because uh, first round picks, I mean, again, it's usually a 50-50 proposition of even hitting on these guys. But you look at where Ryan Pace was drafting at the, at the time when some of these picks happened. He had three, he's had three top 10 picks um, or four top 10 picks, I should say, in his tenure as GM, and only one of them has worked out. I look at Kevin White and Mitch Trubisky. Those guys were a complete bust. I mean, uh, the White pick was just very unfortunate. That was the first pick of his regime and just completely flopped because of injuries. And, and Mitch Trubisky, like I kind of – I said in the 2017 review, he set the franchise back years um, and really should have set the, uh, the franchise back even more because um, it, it's just rare that, you know, Ryan Pace is able to dig himself out of a hole with the Justin Fields uh, draft pick. But Mitch Trubisky, for all in terms of in, intents and purposes – 
should have gotten Ryan Pace and the entire regime fired um, because of how much he missed on that one selection. I uh, look at Leonard Floyd was underwhelming, especially considering the fact that they traded up to go get him. And Roquan Smith, while good, um, probably his best first round pick, he's probably a guy who's going to be getting a second contract with the Bears, um, wasn't at a premium position, though. So that's kind of where he gets dinged a little bit, even though I mentioned that it's probably um, justifiable because Roquan Smith is such a good player anyway that kind of positional value goes out the window, though, with how good he has been. Uh, for the Bears, especially last year and going forward. Um, the jury is still out on Justin Fields. We'll see. I think something to also keep in mind that, you know, Ryan Pace, of course, gave away two first-round picks for Khalil Max. So um, if you want to factor that into the analysis as well, you know, certainly uh, Khalil Mack is definitely worth uh, two first-round picks, in my opinion. Um, so um, if you want to factor that into that as well, I mean, that's certainly something to keep in mind. Um, but overall, you look at it, Ryan Pace is an overall drafter, pretty, pre, pretty good here. You know, like I said, most analytical models place him as an above average to even really good top 10 drafter in terms of just finding talent. Well, my overall grade for Pace is a C minus. And the reason I give it a C minus is pretty much what I've been saying the entire show is like, look, you, he has his fair share of hits. He has his fair share of misses. It's unwise. It's also really unwise to expect a general manager to hit on every single pick. And it just seems like, unfortunately, you know, throughout the bears fan base, but then also, you know, Ryan Pace gets a lot more heat than he probably deserves. Right. But ultimately when you do look at this, I mean, he, let me put it this way, right? There's a quality over quantity approach, but then there's sometimes it's also the other way around for pace. And if you're going to factor Khalil Mack into the analysis, I think that it's a bit, it's kind of unfair to factor Khalil Mack into the analysis because ultimately what is, is this is that if you look at those picks, I mean, one was, I believe the 24th overall pick in 2019. And then the second one, I think was the 20th overall pick or something back in 2020. And so ultimately it's kind of unfair to factor Mac in because you can't argue that any of those guys are going to emerge and become generational talents like Khalil Mack effectively has become for the bears. And he was also that for the Raiders, but really Mac's tenure in the NFL is going to be defined by the six seasons that he spends in Chicago. Now, if you were to really break it down and get even more critical of Pace's drafting, there would clearly be a stark divide between what he does on day one versus day two versus day three. And the day three percentages would be higher because of the hidden gems that he's found. And the day three, I'm sorry, the day one percentages where he's had take Justin Fields out of the equation because we can't really evaluate Fields just yet in the NFL. Um, if you look at Pace's day one draft history, he's had, what, four first-round picks, right? It's been Kevin White, Mitch Trubisky, Leonard Floyd, and then Roquan Smith. He's had a 25% hit rate in the first round. Now, typically what happens is this in round one, you're looking for guys that are going to be long-term building box players that are going to have second – that will effectively get second or third contracts with your team. And knowing that – and that's why it's always so critical to hit on those round one picks. I also think that you have to factor in that – when it comes to Pace's overall evaluation, his round one drafting hurts his track record more than people are willing to admit because 
Number one, none of those guys got to a second contract. Roquan Smith's going to be getting to a second contract. But also, number two, a lot of those were just clearly very questionable picks. And then another thing that we have to factor in is this, is that Pace was just kind of hoping that things would pan out. There was a point where you realize, okay, Kevin White's injuries, it wasn't going to work out, all right? So you could have argued that you kept Kevin White on the roster a year too late. Same thing with Mitch Trubisky. You hope that 2020 would be one final go, but effectively it didn't work. Now, Leonard Floyd was good, but he never lived up to top 10 billion. Anytime you drop the pass rusher inside the top 10, you are effectively looking for a guy that is going to get double digit sacks. Whereas for Leonard Floyd, it got to a point where we're just like, okay, cool. If he gets a sack and he gets whatever, five, six, seven sacks a year, but he's effective in coverage and he's as good as a run stopper, we will take that over anything. So Pace's round one value, round one misses affect just his overall track record because it's shown that it's not the way to build a team. And then you mentioned the Trubisky pick. Yeah, he's in a rare circumstance that he got an opportunity to not only hire a second head coach, but then also get a chance at drafting a second quarterback. And even with Justin Fields, we have to understand that it took a lot for him to even fall to 11th overall. I know we discussed it about a month ago, but you're looking at the 49ers taking Trey Lance. And then you also have to factor in um, no team, the Falcons taking Kyle Pitts, the Bengals and the Dolphins going with Jamar Chase as well as Jalen Waddle. And then the cornerbacks, J.C. Horn and Sertain going at eight and nine. And then the big thing, the biggest domino of all that no one's going to talk about but needs to be remembered is the Eagles and Cowboys swapping picks because that enabled the Bears to effectively make the trade with the Giants. So overall with Pace, right, he's just consistently been a middle of the pack general manager. And he hasn't been like terrible, like certain bears general managers, like Phil Emery in the past, he has a better track record, but still, if I were to rank him right now of the 32 GMs, I would probably put him at, I want to say like anywhere between 15th and 20th overall, just knowing that he's been here for seven years and they're outside of one winning season. There really isn't much to show for it. You know, when we talk about the draft, we want long-term building blocks. How many long-term building blocks did Pace effectively really secure that are still on the roster? I mean, you could say probably like what? 20% of the Bears roster is drafted talent that's actually panned out. The rest has been like just lower, just free agent signings or like guys from trades. Yeah, and certainly all that is is fair. I think one thing for me when I was going back and trying to really grade Ryan Pace as a drafter is – you have to take into – I'm trying to, like, balance whether I want to take into account this year's draft because I love his draft so much this year, and I wasn't sure whether I wanted to take that into account because we really don't know um, the outcome of what's going to happen with the 2021 class. And certainly it, it could live up to its billing as a just a, a real foundational class for this team because we've seen, you know, talking about Ryan Pace's background from New Orleans – I mean, we saw how much that the 2017 draft from the New Orleans Saints really changed the fortunes of that franchise because before that, they had multiple years, even with Drew Brees, where they were just a mediocre football team where they were up against the cap every year. They were in cap hell. They couldn't add talent significantly in, in the draft or free agency. And then, boom, they had the 2017 class where they get like four or five super studs on their on their team. And you know, boom, they're back into contention, basically. So we don't know whether that's going to be the case with the 2021 class, even though it, it could turn out to be that way, especially if Justin Fields hits his potential. But as of right now, where, where I see Pace as a drafter, I'll give him a C-plus right now because, you know, overall, like I said before, Pace clearly has an eye for talent. 
And he's been getting really good solid contributors in the second round. He's done a nice job of getting good guys on day three. And you look at of current GMs, he has one of the highest rates in the NFL um, for finding Pro Bowl and all pro talents in the draft. Like for whatever reason, like um, he you kind of talk about that quality over quantity approach. Like he's found a lot of high quality Pro Bowl, all pro level guys in the draft. You look at Eddie Jackson, uh, Tariq Cohen, Cody Whitehair. Uh, Roquan Smith is going to be on that level, I think, very soon. So he's done a nice job of finding those types of talents here. And, and if guys like Darnell Mooney, Jalen Johnson start to step up coming up soon, even better in terms of um, upping that percentage a little bit. But unfortunately, that quality over quantity approach comes at a cost. Um, we talked about how Ryan Pace gives up a ton of value trading up and giving away future picks. And he doesn't really make up for it by trading down or accumulating, accumulating enough draft picks and volume to justify that so this is where really that comes into play here um that leads to a lack of youth a lack of depth and it reduces the margin of error that's the thing with ryan pace when you're going with this aggressive strategy when it pays off like it did with the 2017 saints draft it really pays off but when it doesn't it can create uh long-term problems that uh you need to have you know it, it takes like a hall of fame uh, quarterback to make up for those issues like that like we saw with the New Orleans Saints uh, for so many years during the middle of Drew Brees' career so you also have to factor in that Ryan Pace he has flocked on the quarterback position once which should have gotten him fired in the first place here um, but if Fields hits I think all the all those mistakes you talk about here they can be forgiven to a degree because again like I said there's a lot riding on this year's class to work out if it hits the way I think it will I think the perception of Ryan Pace as a drafter and as, and as a GM as, as a, in total will improve a little bit, but it's going to take, it's going to take some, a couple of years to kind of mend that image for him because, you know, his image in Chicago um, as a GM and as a drafter was pretty rough for a while because of all the trade-offs, because of all the aggressiveness and all uh, the way kind of turned the way that kind of played out with Trubisky, not being the guy, it all backfired on him pretty incredibly here. But if Justin Fields is the guy, I think uh, that will create, again, that margin of error will increase quite significantly. That's what a quarterback does for you, a franchise quarterback does for you. And if that happens, I think I think Ryan Pace, we could see that grade bump up a little bit for me, maybe up into the B tier a little bit, and we'll see what happens from there. But overall, I, I think that pretty much covers it here for uh, grading Ryan Pace and kind of evaluating him um, as a GM or as a drafter here in totality. Um you know, you said, I think it's going to wrap it up here for this episode of Picks for Pace. You know, we're not quite sure what our next step is here. We still have uh, some things to figure out in terms of guests coming on onto the show in the future and what topics we want to cover here before training camp. It's going to get really exciting, though, I think, once we get near August and once training camp kicks off and once college football gets, uh, gets going up here soon, that it's really going to start getting exciting uh, in terms of things to talk about coming up. But uh, to wrap it up here, you said, uh, where can our listeners find you on Twitter and find your work? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. That's my same social media handle for every single social media platform. Check out my work on the Bear Report. Um, I'm currently in works right now to get one really cool guest on. Hopefully he's on next week, but we'll keep you guys updated about that. Yeah, absolutely. Keep an eye out for that coming up next week. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at AJFreeman25. Uh, you can find my work at The Bear Report. Make sure to check out my work on YouTube for The Bear Report as well. My Justin Fields video is still out there if you want to check that out and get some analysis on his college shape. 
Um, and keep an eye out for what I have in the works as well coming up soon. I'm hoping to have two more videos, at least two more videos out uh, before training camp kicks off. And both of them are going to be on the defense for the Bears. So we're talking about what Sean Desai can bring to the Bears as a defensive coordinator and kind of trying to figure out the case study of uh, Eddie Jackson, why he's kind of tailed off over the past couple of years. So give you a little bit of a deep dive into both of those things coming up. So really excited about that. I want to thank our listeners once again for tuning in to us on all podcasting platforms. You guys are the best. Uh, And for all of our listeners here, have a great weekend, everybody, and bear down. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.